it's it's when we launched three of seven i mean that you know i am still working a full-time day job but we don't have a whole lot of money we didn't then and we still don't you know me and chad just said look we're going to take whatever what was it like two thousand dollars or something chad we had it and we each put that in and got it going so we did that and i knew it was going to require a lot more time you know a three-year-old a six-month-old i've got a wife i work full-time so i you know i knew i was going to spend a lot of time doing it but it wasn't even about the money and it's still not we feel like we can make a difference in other people's lives. That was the part that was bigger. You know, I'm going to have to take some time away from my family. I'm going to have to take some time away from things that I want to do, and I'm going to invest it in other people. I mean, it, it's unreal that, you know, the emails we get from people, you know, how we've changed their life and helped them through this situation or that situation. So really just the moment of committing and saying, hey, we're going to put this money, we're committing to this time, and we're going to do it. To me, that that was the pivotal moment and been, you know, nothing but, but blessings since. Hey, I'm Jacob Burson, the host of the Love Period Podcast. This is a show about the stories of leaders, creators, groundbreakers, and pioneers who lead organizations who focus on improving the lives of others. These leaders at some point had to lift up their anchor and step out in faith to get them where they are today. On this episode, we are talking to brothers Blake and Chad Wright. They are the founders of the Three of Seven Project. Chad is a former Navy SEAL who has been through multiple deployments and served in some really difficult circumstances. Now, Chad's story, it's its unbelievable. It's a tremendous story about his journey of having a elective heart surgery to even qualify to attend SEAL training. Uh, and the rest of his story is great as well. And his brother, Blake, is a former police officer and SWAT team member. Uh, he has a very inspiring story himself. Uh, both brothers are dedicated ultra runners. Man, they, they run a, a thousand miles, uh, literally, these big ultra runners. Um, they're doing some great things with their 3 of 7 project, which is uh, an effort to help people become uh, the best versions of themselves. What they do pours right into the same heart of our mission here at Live 2540 and the story we love to hear on the Love Period podcast. Uh, this episode is a long episode, but it's chock full of real life stories and examples from two guys who have truly stepped out in faith into the unknown several times in their lives. Uh, and I just enjoy watching their work unfold online and through their work. This conversation happened right here at the beginning of COVID as it, as it was an outbreak. So it's interesting to hear there's some developments during this podcast where we were talking about that, of where the world was at that moment. So I love this conversation. If you take some time, if you need to break this thing up and listen to it, it's a great podcast. So join me this conversation with brothers Blake and Chad Wright. All right, this is episode 11 of the Love Period Podcast. I'm here with Blake and Chad Wright. Blake, Chad, what's up, fellas? What's going on, brother? Hey, Jacob, man, it's an honor to come on. This thing's been a long time coming, man. It's uh, it's a pleasure to be able to get on here and share with you and, and your tribe, brother. Yep, we've been looking forward to it all week. Yeah, well, we'll this is we'll get into it, and I'll talk about the timing again. We mentioned that earlier before we before we got on. I want to I need folks. I need folks to hear that part because that part really matters. Um, but you guys over there at Three Seven Project, this is is kind of the infancy of that story, and I, we're looking forward to hearing about it uh, more in details on it. Um, but before we get started, since you two are brothers, we kind of start with a rapid fire question, just kind of get the get our juices flowing a little bit. Um, but I just want to hear what what was the best? Tell me the best fight that y'all got in together. Mm. Against each other? Either way, however you want to do it. Man, there was a lot of them. I, probably the best one, we told it on the 
Q&A the other day, but uh, I can't remember. I did something to make Chad mad, and his uh, signature move was rubbing people's face in the dirt. And uh, so I don't know how. I was probably in fifth or sixth grade, and he's four years older than me. So there he, he had done that, and I finally broke free and took off running, and he was chasing me, and, and I finally stopped, and I had about a split second before he got to me, and I, there's this sharp rock on the ground, and I picked up, and he didn't know I had it. And as soon as he got close enough, I slashed his forearm wide open, and it was really on then. And uh, I think I think that may have been the time I back, backed his truck out in the road and was burning the tires off. Yeah, no, that was my that was my favorite one. Is yeah. when I, I, done, I think that's I, what spurred it. I had moved. I probably moved something in his room or something. Blake was always Blake is still a very structured person, and I'm not. I I leave I leave messes everywhere I go, and so his room was always put together tight, man. And uh, yeah, he got mad at me, and I had this old '79 Ford pickup truck, and he backed it out sideways in the paved road and just started burning the tires off of it. And, uh, yeah, of course, I ran out there and attacked. But, uh, <laughs> man, we, we definitely – we fought like cats and dogs growing up, brother. Well, I'm telling we you, talk- you know, one of the surprising things I just heard in that story was you backed out into a paved road. And I'm not being judgmental. I'm just saying I'm kind of surprised that y'all, <laughs> y'all lived on a paved road out there. <laughs> it, it was just semi-paved, Semi- probably crushing running. Was- that old 79 Ford wasn't going to squeal tires on the hard paved road. That that must have been the crushing run road. Yeah, it was, it was just it was, somebody had sprayed asphalt on top of some gravel. That's all it was. No, that's right, yeah. All right, Blake, What was your who was your favorite athlete growing up? Man, we didn't watch much sports, and we still don't. Um, gosh, I mean, we watched hunting and stuff. That hunting counts. and fishing. Bill, yeah, Bill Dance. I think he's an athlete. Yeah, yeah, that's right. Okay. I remember All him. Right. That counts. Bill Dance. If NASCAR <laughs> drivers are athletes, so is Bill Dance. <laughs> Chad, on a scale of one to ten, how cool are you? <laughs> I would say, uh, how cool am I? How cool are you? Dude, I'm gonna say probably. I'm probably down about a three or four, brother. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not very cool, man. I, I live. I live in old. Uh, uh, old. Uh, little uh 1200 square foot brick house in the middle of nowhere that was built in the middle of the 80s and drive a beat up toyota pickup truck and um i keep it real real simple man uh i lived in blake i've lived in blake's basement for about the last past six months so this little old house is a big upgrade for me and uh you know that's a cool question though jacob because i think that there's a lot of a lot of misconceptions um in society about how people who are you know whatever so-called influencers about how they live their life man like you know you you see you see somebody online whether it's social media or whether you hear them on a podcast and and you know you 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 think well man that person's really got it all together and he he ain't got nothing to worry about and you know, but, but that's not the reality of it. Um, we're all just people, man. We're all just essentially made of dirt. And um, I don't live much different than anybody else in this world lives, and I wouldn't have it any other way, brother. So uh, I, I'm a little I'm, – I'm tougher than I am cool. Uh, I'm low on a cool scale. I'm, I'm pretty <laughs> high on a tough scale, though. Yeah, it just you, – you, yeah, you never know what other people think, though. See, a lot of people would think the old Toyota truck and – I mean, I think that's cool, man. 
Well, yeah, I mean, I, yeah, you're right. I guess it depends on, I guess it depends on who's on the outside right, looking right, in, right? right? Yeah. We're, we're our own worst critic. So yeah. I, I heard that, man. All right. Blake, one, what's your, what are you, one to 10? Man, I, I was probably like a five or six when Chad was living in my basement. When he moved out, my coolness went down a lot, <laughs> uh, you know, and I got, got to go get my mullet trimmed up. And that'll be a little bit cooler, but like, tell about that guy that rode by the house on the four wheeler and that and uh, asked you about your brother living in the basement. Oh man, I can't even remember what he said. What did he say? <laughs> this guy came by. I just heard this from Blake. I can't believe he can't yeah. remember it. But a no, dude, rode, dude rode by his house the other day on a four wheeler and uh, said, "Hey, you live in that house right there?" And Blake said, "Well, yeah." And he said, "What well, do you live in the basement?" Blake said, no, I live in, in the in the house house. He said, I heard there was a Navy SEAL that lived in that basement. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That's some rock march stuff for you right there, man. Well, when he rolled up on it, was it a three or a four-wheeler? It was a four-wheeler. Okay. And we was, we was riding laps around the pasture in my tractor, me and my little three-year-old girl was. And that, he, he caught me there on the road frontage. This is a fantastic story. I was running laps around the pasture in my tractor when this dude rolls up on a four-wheeler. These are things that people from other places don't understand at, at all. They, they don't, they're like, what are, you, what are you guys talking about? To me, it makes total sense. I was there. Yeah, yeah. All right, so this is where we make a little shift in the podcast. I'm going to start with Blake. So the, the purpose of the Love Period podcast is we talk to people uh, who have a story um, of where they stepped out in faith and stepped out into the unknown to pursue something that they felt was bigger than themselves. So, so, uh, so Blake, could you, could you tell me a story or story um, that, that kind of exemplifies that moment where you lifted up your anchor and kind of stepped out into the unknown? Yeah. You know, I mean, really, I would say it's, it's when we launched three of seven. I mean, that, that was kind of a, a pivotal moment in my life because you know, I am still working a full-time day job, but I knew, you know, we don't have a whole lot of money. We didn't then, and we still don't. So, you know, me and Chad just said, look, we're going to take whatever whatever money we got that we can scrounge up. We're going to put it together. What was it, like $2,000 or something, Chad, we had? And and we each put that in and got it going. So uh, we did that, and I knew it was going to require a lot more time. You know, um, I got to – a three-year-old, a six-month-old. I've got a wife, um, a work full-time. So, I, you know, I knew I was going to spend a lot of time doing it, but for me, it wasn't even about the money, and it's still not for either one of us. It was about that we feel like we can make a difference in other people's lives, and and that was the part that was bigger. You know, it was uh, it was me being selfless, and, and which is hard to do sometimes and saying, look, you know, I'm going to have to take some time away from my family. I'm going to have to take some time away from things that I want to do uh, every day. And I'm going to invest it in other people. And the reward that we have saw through doing that has just been, I mean, it, it's unreal that, you know, the emails we get from people that, that say, you know, how we've changed their life and helped them through this situation or that situation. So really just the moment of committing and saying, Hey, we're going to put this money, we're committing to this time, and we're going to do it. To me, that, that was the pivotal moment, and, and it has been, you know, nothing but, but blessings since. That's yeah, awesome. I'm going to get to 
I've got a question about that moment of committing. But first, I want to hear Chad. Same thing for you. When was that? When was that moment, or, or moments, or a story of when you knew it was time to step out of whatever that thing was, whether it was three or seven or whatever it was? What was a what was a, a moment of, of stepping out? You know, I've had a couple moments like that in my life, Jacob. And you know, the first one obviously is initially as a young man working in construction here uh, in in this local area. You know, when I was 18, just graduated high school, you know, making that decision to step out of my comfort zone, um, leave my hometown and everything that I loved and everything and everyone that I cared for and go and serve my country as a as a U.S. Navy SEAL or at least make an attempt. Um, Of course, I didn't know if I was going to make it through that training or not. We started off with 300 men and graduated with 18. Um, and, and that was once I finally got on the start line, you know, so that was a big pivotal moment for me. Um, I look back on it now though, and I realize that, you know, I didn't have a lot of faith in God back then. Uh, and I realized that God still had his hand in my life and he was leading me along that path in order to bring me to the place that I am today, sitting here talking to you, um, and then I would say the most, the, the more recent uh, uh, moment that I kind of have stepped out uh, on faith was, you know, again, going back to uh, 307 Project, I was medically retired from the Navy about a year and a month ago. And that was really, really hard. And me, like every other human being, uh, I was relying on the things that I had done as a, as a Navy SEAL, as an ultra runner, all those things that you know society views as success, I was relying on all those things to push me forward into my future mission. And I wasn't getting anywhere with that. Um, so with the help of the Holy Spirit, you know, I was laying in bed one night and very, very frustrated, very confused about what my next mission in life was going to be. And uh, the Holy Spirit gave me a vision. I was laying in bed awake and in my mind's eye, he showed me all of, in the top left corner, he showed me all of my material possessions. And uh, the Holy Spirit said, give it to me. And I argued with him. At the time, I owned a 10-acre farm, a nice new home, um, a lot of stuff uh, up, in, up in Virginia where I was living. And he kept saying, give it to me. And I kept arguing. And he wouldn't argue back. All he would respond with was, give it to me. Finally, I released it to him saying, okay, this, is, uh, this was all yours anyways, God. Take it and do what you want with it. If, if you want to take it away, I'm willing to give it. If you want to let me keep it, I, that would be great too. And that, that really lifted a weight off of me. And then from that point, the vision came to center, and there was a scroll. And on this scroll, it was like an old parchment. And this, this vision, it was so clear and real to me. Um, I, I don't know if I can... I just want to make you understand this was very, very powerful to me. Uh, and, and on this scroll was written everything that I had ever done as a SEAL or as an ultra runner. Man, I've rubbed shoulders multiple times with the most powerful men on earth. Um, you know, I've been all over the world, all these awesome accomplishments. And the clouds, these clouds began to build around this scroll. 
And as the clouds built, I, I, I had a revelation. Those clouds were actually representative of the presence of God. And as those clouds built, that scroll began to shrink. So as that scroll, it shrunk and, and it was the, the presence of God was taking place and filling the, the space all around it. And it eventually shrunk to be so small that I could no longer read the writing on the scroll. And that was God telling me in that moment that all those things that I had done, all those things that I thought were, were great, all those things that I was depending upon to move me forward into my future, that uh, he was so much greater and so much bigger than all those things. So I was limiting myself for a long time with all those things that I thought were great. Um, it, it was just, I was just pigeonholing myself into this one lane. You know what I mean? And, and once I realized, you know, I, I took that vision on board and realized that God was way more powerful. I stopped depending on all that stuff. Like being a seal is just being a seal was just a part of me. And, and those things that we did were great, but um, there's something bigger. There's a bigger purpose. There's a way to make a more eternal impact. And, you know, thank God that he showed me that in that timely manner. And look, bro, I don't get visions like that all the time. Like this wasn't something normal. Um, you know, I, I yeah. called, I, I called our pastor, uh, uh, Paul, you know, the, the day after and, you know, went over it with him just to get a, a, a sanity check. You know what I mean? Um, so from that point, yeah, then, then Blake told the story about how we launched three of seven, which is, you know, way outside of my lane of being a seal, you know, I mean, I should be working, you know, I should, I should have stayed back and worked for a company like Blackwater or something contracting overseas. Um, you know, given my resume, uh, this thing that we're doing right here right now goes so much against my background. You know, I'm, we're trying to be seen. We're trying to spread a message. Right. Um, we're trying to have our voices heard which, you know, that goes totally against everything that I did as a SEAL. So, um, yeah, it's totally a God thing. And, I mean, thankfully I had, uh, I've got a little brother and, you know, to, to help me along the way. And I think you'll learn as the conversation goes on, uh, Blake is my most um, trusted uh, counselor. And he's probably the, the most, the person I value the most in my life. Um, as far as uh, from a council standpoint and speaking truth into my life. So, you know, that's where we are now, but it definitely took stepping out of my comfort zone and out of my, my experience. Yeah. One thing I was, when you were, you were listing out those things of what uh, you said, uh, what other people considered to be successful. Um, I think a lot of us, a lot of us live up to other people's measurables like we, we do those things and we think those things are going to give us that satisfaction. And for some of us, we're, we're constantly on that edge of dissatisfaction. And then we accomplish those things and there's still a dissatisfaction. And we just keep, we keep knocking out those bullets. And then until we finally get to that place to where we're, we're like, all right, God, I'll do whatever it takes. And then even then to take that, make that decision to really do whatever it takes is really big. And that's what I was thinking of, Blake. Um, you said that moment of committing. Um, how long did it take to get, what, what, were, what was going through your mind to get to that place to make that kind of commitment? Well, you know, I mean, I remember talking to Chad about it and, and, uh, and then, you know, me and my wife talked about it and, and I just, 
you know, I, we were praying about it and, you know, I didn't want to commit to something that I couldn't really give a hundred percent to and really do well at it. So, you know, that, that was really what was holding, holding me back. The money was just the money, you know, I mean, it was pretty much all our extra money, but it is what it is uh, with the money part. To me, it was the time away from my family and doing other things that I, that I wanted to do that was hanging me up. And, uh, you know, really it was just knowing that, that it was going to have a bigger impact than, than myself, you know, I mean, that, that's, I just had to put everything else aside and say, okay, you know, this, this is more, this is more than just me. This is more than just my family or what I want to do. This is pushing into, you know, into something bigger than what, what I am myself. Who was in, was there anybody influencing you at the time who was kind of, kind of pouring into that, that, uh, that you were kind of leaning into? Yeah. Uh, Paul Wilder, Chad mentioned him a minute ago. He put, Paul has put tons and tons of time into me, whether it be out running on the trail or, you know, just hanging out work. I mean, most of it was through physical activity, but, but I would say that spiritually Paul has probably grown me more than, I guess probably more than any other man that I know. I mean, he has spent countless hours with me and, and I, I would accredit it to him as far as me, being spirit led in that decision and, and being selfless. Yeah. Is, is Paul, Paul's y'all's pastor? He is the, um, he's the pastor or director of leadership at the church. Okay. James Cordell is our pastor. Okay. Um, yeah. Yeah. It's always the, the, the that's the one thing I'll, I look back on um, in terms of, you know, cause when you kind of make that decision, there are certain people that you, that kind of pour into your life. Um, mm-hmm. there's not some folks that you always remember, um, that specific, but this can go for either one of you. Who was somebody when you were growing up, who was kind of setting an example for you that you think, um, led to where you are today or led to being able to make the choices where you are today? Go ahead, Chad. Yeah. I mean, <clears throat> growing up, it was definitely primarily our mother and father. Um, they, they raised us, uh, they provided for us. We, we had, we had food shelter. We had things that we needed. Uh, they, they always, you know, they, they never, neither one of them ever pushed us to do anything, but they always encouraged us, uh, on the things that we decided that we wanted to do. So they gave us a lot of freedom of movement to, to find ourselves and, and to develop as men. And, um, you know, that those would have had to, that, I mean, I can't think of, and, and I'm sure a lot of people can resonate with that. A lot of people can't resonate with that. I mean, we're very blessed to have came up in the home that we came up in, but uh, those were definitely my primary influencers as a child. Um, and in real time, uh, I think over the last uh, 10 you know, 10, 12 years of my life, I would say Blake has probably been the biggest influencer, um, on my life, you know, um, you know, which is weird because he's my younger brother, but spiritually, uh, he, he has been far more advanced, um, you know, in his spiritual walk than, than I have been. So, um, and and I want to, 
I'd like to take a second too, Jacob, and just say, you know, you asking this question is perfect because, you know, to anybody who's who's listening to this, whether you're a woman or a man or whatever, um, I think it's important for us to find someone else to, I'll say, father, you know, whether they're your kids or not, but to actually take under your wing and invest time in, in a, on an intimate level, you know, um, I feel like that to me, that is more something that I am more, I guess, better at than I, than I am on a, like a, on a public speaking platform. You know, I, I don't, I can get up and talk in front of people, but I'm not real comfortable with it. I'm, you know, that's, that's just not where I like to be. I like the one-on-one time with people or a small group. And, and I think that's so important because you, you make a, I think you make a deeper impact. It's it's a more targeted impact. I'll say it's you know shooting a shotgun versus shooting a rifle. Yeah. So, but I think that's important. Whether whether you're really good at that or you're good at you know talking to big crowds or whatever, I think it's important regardless to find somebody that you can, you know, call it disciple or, or father or or lead or build up. So I I, I think that's a definitely a key, and yeah. and it'll grow you as well. You know, you grow so much through doing it. Also, yeah, that's right. Yeah, I would, I would, I spent a couple of years as a student director at a church, and uh, that's it's one of those things where you you learn just as much as this as the young folks that you're with when you're kind of in that because you're kind of you're having to force yourself to learn some things to be effective as a as a mm-hmm. as a as a guide for them. Um, and when I was doing it, what I another thing I was thinking about in the middle of that was I was thinking about all of those youth pastors in my past that I, I, I gave so much grief to, but actually they were pouring things into me that I wasn't necessarily paying attention to at the time that, but I was, I'm, I'm positive that God was allowing me to absorb that built up later. And those guys, you know, they're not really going to get any credit. They don't, you know, they're not going to, you know, they're not active on social media and they haven't written any books, but uh, nobody's in, you know, they're they're but they're just as valuable. Um, yeah. You know, they'll be at the table on the other side of glory one day. And um, I, I would imagine their list of accomplishments is going to be a lot longer than, than mine will. Um, yeah, that's uh, it's the people that influence us are so important. Um, is there anybody that uh, like that helped you find it? Do you think you found your calling? Like, Nate? Um, yeah, I think through... You know, I think I did before three of seven, but but three of seven I think has honed it in. You know, because I mean, not only am I getting to to work with my brother, and you know, our relationship has grown and gotten better, but I mean, that's that's always I've always been a big encourager and and want to build people up. That I mean, that has been that's just what I like to do. So through this, I mean, it's really allowed me and given me a platform to be able to do that on a big scale and then, you know, on a more targeted scale too because some people will reach out and they just want a more intimate relationship or conversation and I love to just talk to those people, you know, and and be able to help. So it has magnified what I had already known and given me the platform to be able to do it. So so I guess, it, you know, to say that my calling is an encourager may be, different, but that's what I like to do. I just like to build people up and help them find who they already are, but to bring it out of them. Yeah, that's good. 
Yeah, that's good. It's it's um, it's one of those things where you, uh, you know, people have asked me if I found my calling, and I say, and I say, I think I have, but my, I think my calling is to let folks know that you could be a lot better at all of this than I am, because I, you see talents in other people, like man, if he would just take that talent and focus it in this direction, um, he's definitely as a bear, he's he's vernacular is much better than mine. You know, it's just those kind of things you see in people. Yeah. Um. Chad, we really didn't get into yet about your backstory because some folks listening haven't heard any of that. Can you tell us tell us a little bit about that that Navy SEAL journey really quick, if you could, so people can get a little idea of, of where that of where three of seven was kind of birthed from. Yeah, no problem, brother. Yeah, so uh, I guess my journey to become a SEAL was definitely a little a little non traditional. Um, first of all, like we, I guess, established early on in the episode, we came from a small town. Uh, we were never into really team sports or fitness or anything like that. Uh, we were just, you know, out in the woods having a good time. And uh, a lot of people, I think, have the misconception that to be a, a, a high performer or to be a SEAL, you've got to play sports as a child or you've got to come from a privileged background or whatever it may be to really achieve this high level, uh, at least in society's eyes, this high level of success. And uh, that definitely wasn't our case. And I decided I wanted to be a SEAL, went to boot camp. Um, On the last day of boot camp, actually, we had just finished our final training exercise and the rest of my class was moving on to graduate. They give you a hat at the end of boot camp and it changes from recruit to Navy, the hat, the, the hat says Navy on it. And uh, they were all going off to that ceremony after that final exercise. And my drill instructor pulls me to the side and says, hey, you need to go to medical, Chad. They found something on your dive physical. And so I went to saw, see this uh, dive medical officer and he tells me that I have a pericardial cyst, which is a very rare condition. And uh, basically what it was is a seven centimeter cyst on my heart. But the interesting thing is it was totally asymptomatic. So the, the Navy would not perform surgery to remove this cyst or cyst. One, because it's a risky surgery. Two, because according to them, it would never bother me my entire life. I had lived with it for 18, 19 years and never even knew it was there. But they were afraid that when I dove underwater as a combat diver, that the pressure change would burst the cyst. So... <clears throat> They basically told me that uh, I would never have the option to be a SEAL and that they were just going to send me out to the regular Navy. Well, that wasn't where I had set my goals. Um, you know, I had, I, I had this one single thing in mind, and I get really front sight focused when I set a goal. And what that means is I focus on that goal, and, and I don't see anything else uh, in the peripheral. Um, so I chose to cut all ties with the Navy. Uh, came back here to a um, little town in North Georgia that we grew up in. And, of course, everybody thought that uh, I had quit because that's what everybody does that, that goes to SEAL training is they quit. And, you know, I would try to say, well, actually, I have this thing wrong with my heart. And nobody believed that, nor did they care, nor should they have cared. Um, so I finally found a surgeon that would remove this thing from my heart. I'm totally out of the Navy. Uh, just a, just a civilian. And, um, we shopped surgeons for a while. Um, but found a dude that would take it off my heart, 
the surgery was successful and I was able to be back. I was back in the Navy standing before the same diet medical officer that, that had disqualified me less than a year after the surgery. Um, but I was gambling on this whole thing. So when I got out of the Navy and I had this heart surgery, there was nobody saying, well, we guarantee you we'll let you back in if you have this cyst removed. Like there was a very, very, very high chance that they were still going to disqualify me even after the surgery was completed because you have to get waivers. Um, anytime you have any, especially a big procedure like that, it's a, it's a drawn out process. So, um, yeah, show back up with that guy. I got my paperwork in order. They, of course, ended up the chain of command, and everybody in the Na in Navy medicine wanted to put their hands on this case because it was so rare. It was the first case of a pericardial cyst in a SEAL candidate that ever existed. Um, so everyone was interested in how this was going to turn out, <clears throat> and uh, they finally uh, blessed me off, and I got to go to Bud's. Uh, which is basic underwater demolition seal training and uh, accomplished my dreams. And I actually made it through buds flawlessly, was never rolled, never injured, never failed a single evolution. Um, if I would have went to buds the first go around, I don't think I would have made it to be totally honest with you. Um, I think my intentions, my will and my want and everything like that, that, that goes along with, with achieving a goal was purified in that furnace of adversity. Uh, that was created by that heart condition and you know having this mountain placed in front of me and basically given a definitive answer that uh, my dreams were not achievable you know you never know how bad you want something until it's until it's snatched away from you so um yeah yeah that's uh I, that's what that's what i attribute the reason i got through seal training wasn't because i was physically more capable than anybody and by the way nothing in seal training in and of itself is all that difficult no single evolution is all that difficult it's when you put it all together is what is what crushes people um but but you know i had so much invested once i got to the start line it was like you know a, a standard in my life is to take quitting off the table was that a standard that you um I wrote down furnace of adversity because that's going to follow this. So with that standard, was that a tip? Was that the same standard you had before you joined the Navy? Was it something already in you there? You know, I think I've always been very, again, front sight focused on a goal, but no, I don't think that I had that standard of taking quitting off the table. I think that that, that really has, is something that's been developed throughout my life. Um, you know, and what does that even mean, dude? So what that means to me is that uh, from this point forward, no matter what my goal is, that I'm going to continue to push forward toward my goal until something that's outside of my control either stops me or changes my direction. Um, that's all that means. Taking quitting off the table doesn't mean I'm some big, hard, tough dude that's that can just accomplish anything. No, it just means that I'm going to keep doing everything that I can do for as long as I can do it until something outside of my control changes that. And so what that does is it takes fear out of the equation and it also takes the power away from anxiety because I don't have to worry about all these different outcomes. I don't have to worry uh, if, if I have, if I'm going to have the, the amount of strength that I need or the amount of patience that I need 
I just know I'm going to keep going. Um, and that's, that's something been that, that's, that's developed uh, through multiple – walking through multiple, multiple furnaces of adversity. Yeah, it's, it's nearly impossible. It's nearly impossible to accomplish anything. If it, if it's really impossible to accomplish anything great if it's easy. It's just, unfortunately, it, things have to be hard. There has to be hurdles and there has to be difficulty for, to, to be a part of anything that's got a huge impact or just something that's, um, to, for me, something that's worth accomplishing. Now, Blake, your background, I was reading, and it was something that I didn't know um, until I think I came over to see you guys after I checked on it later. But uh, you spent some time, you spent some time in SWAT and your background of, kind of doing some different things too that um, it makes sense. It matches your path now to me, but for some folks it, it may not, it may be kind of a, both of your paths could be surprising. Like you said, Chad, you, you've gone in a different direction now than what is a shift. So Blake, what, what about the, what about that same shift for you that, that uh, those, those build up moments to today? Yeah. So for, for me, I, I spent a couple years uh, as a road cop up in Floyd County. Um, I was on the SWAT team for about a year. And, you know, I guess you can look at law enforcement one of two ways that they're helping or, you know, that nobody likes them. Uh, but, you know, I truly got into it for the, for the fact to help people. Um, you know, a lot of the people that I took to jail or whatever, I, I – honestly felt bad for them you know i mean they were they were in a situation they were a prisoner to themselves and you know uh but they did break the law but a lot of them even on the way on the way to the jail you know we'd we'd stop and pray when we were pulling into the um you know pulling into the jail and and just really invest in that person for the short amount of time you get because they got to listen to you yeah sitting in the back seat with you know what i mean yeah um, and, and it gave you some kind of influence with everybody, you know, you, you didn't necessarily have to have to do anything right there. You had, you had their ear when you talked, you had their ear. And so that was something special to have, um, with everybody you come in contact with. And, and it really, you know, made, uh, made you aware of what you were saying because, when people are really listening to you, you, you got to, you got to be conscious of every little word you say and um, so that they don't take it the wrong way. But so I did that. And then um, I left there and I'm doing, still doing the job I was doing when I left uh, uh, erosion control. And, you know, it's, it's not necessarily in my lane. It's not, uh, I don't know that I'm, I guess I'm called to be here for a certain amount of time because I'm here. So I just try to make a difference with the people I come into contact with every day. But, but my main focus is, is on uh with with three of seven but there i don't guess there was a huge shift for me you know like like chad i I think it was more i feel like i was kind of on track and probably leaving the police department was was a more monetary decision you know i was influenced by i mean i was you know i make was making two or three times what i was making at the at the police department. I knew if I wanted to start a family, I had to make more money. Um, so I think policing was more, more in my lane and more of my calling, but I, you know, I left because of the money, but 
three of seven coming back into it really picked me back up and, and almost redirected me and put me back on the yeah. right path. So. Um, so either one of y'all explain to us three of seven project. Um, maybe, uh, you could start with, maybe start with where it began, but just explain to explain to folks what three of seven is. Yeah, so um, three of seven project. You know, again, we we kind of dug in a little to the beginning story, and it's so it's so cool. You know, just how it did begin. It was just a conversation between me and Blake, and and so what what we came up with the the name three of seven. Uh, the three is representative of the body, soul, and spirit. So we believe that we are a triune being created in the likeness and image of God, and that. You know, we are composed of those three aspects. The body is easy. It's this, you know, vessel that we walk around in. The soul is your mind, your will, and your emotions. Um, so those, those kind of, the way you feel about things, what do you want to do? What do you not want to do? Um, you know, the emotional side of yourself. And then the spirit would be the thing that connects you to something bigger than yourself. And for us, Blake and I, that's the uh, that's the God of the Bible, and um, so that's the where, the where the three came from. And then the number seven is is obviously, as you know, Jacob, the divine number for completion. Um, you know, it's it's really just throughout the Bible that number seven it just stands out. Anytime something is totally complete, um, it's usually been done seven times, and that's where we got the name from. And, and project. You know, why do we call it a project is because this thing is, is we want it to be constantly evolving. We want it to be something that's, that's fluid and, and something where we can allow God to lead. Um, we don't want to put parameters on this thing. And that's why we tried to call it a project. And, you know, you asked Blake earlier, has he found his calling? And, you know, and, and if you ask me that same question, I would tell you, I don't know if I found my calling or not. And that's the great thing about having a project is, is I don't have to necessarily, you know, know if I found my calling or not. I mean, you know, God's got me traveling around the world, uh, teaching Bible-based principles to groups of, you know, eight to 10,000 people at a time. Um, you know, I, I don't, I never would have dreamed of that. You know, uh, six months ago, man, if you'd have told me to give a speech six months ago, I'd have looked at you like you were crazy, man. Um, but, you know, I don't know how much longer I'll be doing that. Um, and, and that's why we called it a project, essentially. Uh, we, we don't put any parameters on it. We let go and we let God have his way with it, brother. So that's where the name came from. Yeah, that project fits. That's what I was writing down. I underlined at exclamation point. Um, we're all in process. I think that's kind of one of the, I think that's kind of one of the misconceptions of when somebody would perceive that you found your calling is that if you're, if you're walking in some, in the perceived calling is what people don't realize is like, I still don't know necessarily where this thing's going to lead. What I know is it's led me to where I'm at today and um, what God has in store. He's already there and we just be obedient um, in that walk. And this, it is pretty crazy of what he'll lead us to and places he'll take us. Um, it is, man. And I, I want to say something on that real quick, Jacob. You talk about, you know, allowing God to lead you and, and to take you to these places that would have been unimaginable uh, for you, you know, for me personally. It, I mean, the, the, the things that, that we're doing and the places that we're going, um, 
and, and just everything is just we could we couldn't have dreamed it up like um you know and so one of the hardest things you want to talk about a struggle one of the hardest things for me personally since I've been kind of out front and I haven't talked about this publicly at all, man, I've never said this on a podcast and uh, me publicly. One of the hardest things has been like, um, like keeping a handle on just myself and, and remembering and reminding myself that I am a unworthy vessel. I am, I am totally unworthy of what God is doing in my life. I promise you, I don't care what anybody says. I, 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 I that's it brother. Um, but you know, anytime you, anytime you start to achieve just like a little bit of success, um, you know, you have to really be conscious of what's going on in your own head. And that's a battle that I fight daily, man. Uh, you know, cause when, when God sends me, when God sends me downrange and uh, puts me in front of a big crowd, and the Holy Spirit speaks through me, and you know, get, we de- He delivers a powerful message through me, it's really hard for me not to take credit for that. It's really hard for me not to take credit for those words. Um, and, and so I don't know. A little side note, well, man. It's just something that's been well, on my heart. Well, and there's a lot of people. Um, there's a lot of people who wouldn't understand why you wouldn't why you wouldn't just jump into that. There's a lot of people that doesn't re- that doesn't make sense. Like why, why don't you, why wouldn't you own, why wouldn't you own your success of what you accomplished? Um, and I, I mean, I totally relate to that. You know, there's, there'll be some Sundays where, or you know, some moments where somebody say that was a really good message. And I, I don't know how to take that because uh, <laughs> a lot of times it's not the one that I thought was really, I did well. A lot of times yep. it's the one I thought, well, this one's I didn't do well today. And you just don't know what the Holy Spirit does to somebody. Um, you just you kind of just stay obedient to the call and then or, or, or to what to that moment. Um, but you don't. It, people don't understand why you don't feel comfortable taking credit a lot of times. I can answer that. I can answer that easily um, because if it so, yeah, it would be it would be totally human of me to take credit for everything that's happening. But you know what would happen if I took credit for it? I would limit myself. I would limit myself by taking credit. Yeah. Literally. If, if I dude, when I go, when I go out and, and speak, man, I don't take any notes. I don't, I don't, I don't do any of that, man. Like, because I know that if I want to take credit of it and if I want it to be what Chad thinks it should be, I'm going to limit myself, man. So, but, but it's still a battle, even though I know that it's still a battle not to want to take credit for it, man. You know, I mean, yeah, I shared a stage, I shared a stage last, uh, last weekend with the Super Bowl quarterback MVP, uh, for the Eagles. And, you know, um, the Holy spirit just, man, just really gave me boldness to get up there and just really deliver a great message and it, it again in front of an audience like that and in front of a, a superstar like that and, and they're patting you on the back it's like i don't know man it's it's, it's a battle but <laughs> yeah. um but you know man i just i just if if any there must be somebody that's going to listen to this that's struggling with that one thing because i've learned that not everything i say or blake says or you say resonates with everyone but if it resonates with one person who listens to that then 
mission accomplished because I have no clue why I'm sharing that struggle with you right now. Yeah, no, yeah, it's definite. You're, you guys are right. I mean, when when you never know, um, that's the, kind of the, the beautiful thing about being able to, to get out uh, the message to thousands of people. You just You just never know who that one little piece resonates with. Well, I think it's, you know, like what Chad was saying, I think it's that what it boils down to is, is fear, you know, because you've got people on one side that say, what if I do this and fail? What's going to happen? They're scared of failure. But then on the other side, you've got people that say, what if I do this and I succeed? How am I going to handle the success and how am I going to take it from there? Am I going to be prideful or am I going to be able to stay humble? So I think it all boils down to fear and you got people on each side when in reality you got to stay true to who you are and who God's called you to be. And like we said earlier, just make that first step, just go do it. Yeah. That's one of the things um, people ask me sometimes about um, being nervous. Um, anytime that I'm, I may speak or something they're like, are you, are you nervous? I'm like, I'm, I'm, I'm not really nervous, but I still, and this could be insecurity on my part from being, being as a kid, I still have felt uncomfortable in everything I've ever done. Like uncomfortable and unqualified. Like I always, I have felt like I have, <laughs> I have just kind of, um, I don't know if faked it is the word, but I have felt like I am not yet qualified for the task at hand fully. Like I always feel like whatever it is, there's, there's a, a lot of room to get better. Um, and it almost is uncomfortable. It's like a constant push uh, that, that there's never a place to be comfortable because I'm always thinking about how what the last opportunity was, the how I did then. Um, and no matter how many attaboys I got, I'm like, oof, that wasn't too great. I got to keep Dude, pushing. Well, well, no, I mean, that's something that that's a that's a that's a universal thing, man. And, you know, they that society puts a name on it called it's called imposter syndrome. And that fact that we all do reach a point that we feel unqualified. And, you know, I, I felt that I felt that in my own life, man. And I think that's you know, that's a couple different things. I think uh, in the first place, when you're when you're on a mission, when you're sent, when you're sent by God and, and God's placed you on this path. Um, I think that imposter syndrome one comes from obviously the enemy because he's going to speak all kinds of lies into your head. When, when you look, man, Paul in second Corinthians, Paul says, we wrestle, we wrestle against, uh, not against flesh and blood, but against powers and principalities. Okay. So if you find yourself, if you're, if you're a pastor, if you're, and, and, and all of, if you're a father, if you're a mother, if you find yourself in a scenario where you're not wrestling against something, Paul says, we wrestle, not do you, not do you want to, not if you want to wrestle or, you know, every, you know, couple of years we wrestle. Um, so if you find yourself in a situation where you're not wrestling against something, you know what that tells me in my life? If I find myself in that place, it means that I'm lukewarm. And you know what Jesus says about being <laughs> lukewarm? He'll spew you out of his mouth. Um, so, you know, I think that's one part of that. And then I think another part of that, that feeling like you're not qualified, man, that's just what you're surrounded by in society, dude. Like every time you pull out on the road, what's the first thing you see? A sign that's telling you how fast you can go. Um, every, every time you turn around, there's a rule, there's a law, there's, there's something telling you what you can and can't do. 
And, and I'm not saying that we shouldn't have rules in society. We have to have rules in society, but don't let those rules bear down on you so heavily that you forget how powerful you are because of how powerful the one that lives within you is. Mm. So if you don't realize your own power, like you can make an eternal impact. I don't care where you are. I don't care who you are. The things that you speak out of your mouth and that are received by other people, that makes an eternal impact. Every single word that you say. So, you know, We've lost sight as men and women of how powerful we are because what we are surrounded by um, in, in, in today's society. So, you know, that's, that's how I've diagnosed myself, and I hope it resonates with you guys. You preach it, brother. You just pre- Listen, if churches want to cancel services Sunday because of corona, that's fine. They can watch this, listen to this podcast. And you're going to hear all you need to hear this Sunday. Yeah, next, we're going to sing. Let's just sing Blessed Assurance together. Let me clear out the lyrics. If anybody wants to come forward right now. Oh, man. That is good no, stuff. Like- no, that's, that's, I'm glad you said that because um, that, that, that we wrestle. Because, you know, when you were saying that, I did kind of put some things together of, of when those moments are the worst. And those moments are always the worst when, you're, you, when you definitely are in a moment of God's presence. When you know when you're in God's presence, when you're doing something in kingdom work related, when you're doing something kingdom work related, that that wrestle seems to be the strongest. Um, I'm, well, I'm going to say one more thing, and then I'm going to let Blake, Blake chime in. But look here, man. If I find myself in a place that I'm not wrestling, I will find something. I'll create something in my life that I can wrestle against. Yeah. For me, that's, that's ultra running. That's what ultra running is for me. Yes, what's ultra running? I can tell you right now. It's it's in First Corinthians. I stay under my uh, I stay under my bo- my body so I can bring my flesh into subjection. Uh, that when I go and speak to others, I won't be cast out. So it, it's a way to bring my flesh into subjection. It's a way to train myself. It's a way to wrestle in a controlled environment. So when life happens and it's an uncontrolled environment, I've got the tools that I need to make progress toward my goal in that environment. And it's the same thing we do in the SEAL teams, man. We train for three straight years before we ever step foot in a combat zone. So we train for three straight years in a time of peace so that when we get in an uncontrolled environment on the ground in combat, we've got the tools that we can utilize to crush our enemy. Um, So, yeah, I'll create stuff to wrestle with, man. That's what it's all about, brother. Yeah, that's good stuff. That's good stuff. Yeah, if we're that's a, it's a, it's finding that place of if you're if you're in a place if you're comfortable, you're probably not in the right place. Um, so you mentioned the the ultra running piece, um, man. Uh, you, you run a long way. <laughs> I was I was trying to explain it to somebody uh, when I was talking about who we were, we were going to be interviewing. Both of y'all run a long way, but the the, the, the distances that we're talking about are not normal. You know that, right? <laughs> I, I, yeah, we, what is your, like what is your, that. how many, well, I, I kind of know this, but ha, what is your normal week? Either, what is your normal week? How, long, how many miles do you run a week? Um, it, it depends on where I am in a training cycle, but, um, you know, right now I'm running every single day. So I'm probably going to be averaging somewhere between 80 and a hundred miles a week. Um, would be a training week for me. 
uh, there is times that I will take a break and man, I'll just run, you know, 15, 20 miles a week for a few months at a time, because that's another thing caveat on everything we just talked about. Um, I subscribe to a program that says be hard when it gets hard. And what that means is that they, you need times in your life of rest and recovery. Um, and re you need to restore yourself. So I do take those times too, man. Um, you know, there's a saying in the SEAL teams says, why stand when you can sit? Why sit when you can lay down? Yeah. Uh, yeah. So, it's, so there, it, it's, it's all about balance, man. But, uh, yeah, we like to run far, man. Uh, my furthest distance I've ever ran is 116.5 miles. Um, I think Blake's PR is 50 miles, uh, and, and that's on a mountain course. And I've really – Blake has probably the best ultra running story on earth, and I ran the race with him. Blake's first race, by the way, was a 50-mile mountain race. Okay, Blake, before that race, Blake, and before you tell the story, so your first was a 50-mile race. How long was your first longest distance before that race? What was my longest yeah. distance run? Yeah, before the 50-mile race. I think I ran one time um, 18 or 20 miles Okay. On the well, training run. That's you. You were ready. <laughs> All right. I want to hear. I want to hear. I, wanna <laughs> I hear thought the story. I was ready. And it was. It was. Uh, it was pretty rough. I mean, it's a. You know, we. I felt good up to, probably about twelve or thirteen miles, and, um, we was talking and having a good time, and this one guy was running with us, and him and Chad got out there talking. I think Chad finally realized I wasn't feeling good and because I hadn't said anything in 10 or 15 minutes and uh, my stomach was just giving me fits. I mean, it was cramping up something serious. I would stop and dry heave on the side of the trail and uh, make every excuse I could to try to stop and <laughs> catch my break and let my stomach settle. And uh, we pushed through it. I mean, it was uh, – Chad probably remembers a lot more about it than I do because uh, – I've had to write a narrative afterwards so I can reflect on it uh, in the future. But uh, all I remember is my stomach cramping up something serious, having to stop. Chasing um, cutoffs. Yeah, I mean, every every aid station we came into, we I mean, I think we came into one with, where they were like packing up everything. We had like two minutes and, and they were just going to pull me out of the race if I didn't make it through in time. You have to on – the, on the longer races – you come through aid stations, they have water and food and stuff like that. And all of them have a cutoff time from the start to where you're not out there, you know, at 12 o'clock midnight and they're hunting for you. They'll pull you out. So uh, I think we ended up at the end. I passed a couple people and uh, I did beat Chad in that race by a few seconds. So <laughs> that's a, that's a record. Not, not many people can run a race with him and beat him, but I did it on my first <laughs> one. So yeah, it was it was bad though. I mean, the whole if he hadn't been there, I, I wouldn't have, I wouldn't have quit, but I wouldn't have made the cutoffs. There's no way because he he was seasoned enough to know where we needed to push and where we could could uh, let back a little bit. And uh, there's there's plenty of lessons we could talk a lot on here about about lessons that came out of that race. But I, I think the biggest one is just the power of of a team or of of even just two because you know number one the accountability that that he held me to through the race is that I, I wasn't going to fail him 
You know, I mean, if, if I was, if my leg broke or something, then I wouldn't have been able to finish it, but I wasn't going to let something like my stomach cramping up as bad as it was. I mean, it wasn't just like, Oh, my stomach's queasy. I mean, there was at one point I just, I just stopped and doubled up on the side of the road. It was bad. Um, but I wasn't going to let that stop me. And, you know, I said, I was going to do the race. We went out there and we got it done, but just the, the power of, of two people, you know, the Bible talks about, one can put 1,000 to flight, but two can put 10,000 to flight. So how much more two can accomplish? And it was through through him, you know, that had already been through several of those races and us working as a team. I would say those are probably the two biggest takeaways. But it was it was definitely, you know, you'll hear Chad say sometimes the ultra running, you get to experience life in a day. You know, you go through you go through high points, low points, <laughs> you run into obstacles that were unforeseen and you have to problem solve the whole way. And that's essentially what life is, you know, all together. Yeah. That's, that's, it's good stuff about the, um, always finding a partner. Um, cause that, that, I think for a lot of us today, that's what gets lost in, uh, while we could kind of build community through social media, it, it, it's not the true depth of, of, uh, of, of real partnership. And, and I, there's a, there's a lot of folks and, and across a lot of generations who are feeling like they're connected, uh, and they're really not. Um, and they're, they're missing that piece. And, uh, it's, I mean, it's causing folks a lot of issues, a lot of, a lot of depression going around. Um, and there's a lot of different reasons for that. But one of those things is this kind of, this, this numbed community that we have, we just have a lot of people who are really searching for true community um, and, and for us on the faith side, it's really given us a, a the mission field is wide open um, for folks that are, are really hungry for that. What we believe is that message of what, what God provides, man. That's good stuff. Um, and, you know, I will say something else that I've thought that I, I've thought that's coming to my head throughout this podcast several times. And, and it was in the race, too, is that, you know, we've if you listen to our podcast much or been around us much, you'll know that we say a lot of times about don't look at the whole mountain, you know, go basically tree to tree or hill to hill, whatever. And not to look at the whole picture because it can be overwhelming. And it was just like Chad was talking about in seal training, but you know, that's something that I get. I like to see, I want to see everything before I go into it. Like I want to see, the whole race. I want to see where everything's going to be. I want to play it back in my head before I do it. And that, I mean, I guess that can be a good thing, but a lot of times it's a downfall because, you know, then you know what's up ahead of you and and you're sitting there thinking, Oh gosh, I got to climb this mountain. And then I'm going to be climbing that very next mountain, whether it's in a race or something in, in real life. But that's something that I get that I can pick up a lot from Chad because in the, in the races he does and running with him and doing anything with him. He doesn't have, Chad rarely has a plan for anything. So you go out and do anything with him and he's just like, I don't know, whenever it comes up, we'll solve it. And I'm a big planner. So, but, but that balances me well, because looking at that, you know, you can accomplish so much more. Anything, anything big you accomplish is a series of very small easier accomplishments and you know that just just 
living life that way in, a, in that simple mind always, it always challenges me to live that way because I'm not, I'm a lot more complex. I like to plan. I like to see everything and he doesn't. And I see the benefits of both. And I think both are important, but that seems so much more important to me because I'm not that way. So in, in a long way of saying, you know, through the race, us chasing the aid stations, that was my goal. It was just to make it to the next aid station and not yeah. get cut. You know, we didn't necessarily know what the aid station yep. cutoff was, but I said, Hey, I'm going to give it my all. And if I make it through that one, I'm going to give it my all to the next one. And if I make it through that one and we just did it, man. And, and it, and it got us to the finish. Yeah. That's, um, I, and that, that, that would, I think that would, is what some folks need to hear. Um, who are kind of either at that looking how to pursue a calling or they're looking for, they feel like they're called to something else. They've always been discontent to where they are is just take that one step. Even if it's just a baby step, you know, when, um, when kids learn to walk, they get up and cruise around the coffee table for a second. And, and then one day they take, they let go and they take that one step. And, you know, we, we all, the parents, we all celebrate that one step. And I think sometimes we expect too much of ourselves and we're afraid to take that one step because we'll look foolish if we fall. And, you know, God rejoices in that one step. He's just like, hey, you took a step. Just like a parent picks us up. And, you know, I'm sure the angels are like, what are y'all doing? You look like a knucklehead trying to take a step. But it's just like, man, that one step is so important. No matter how small, just taking one step because you're not going to get to that next accomplishment without taking one. That's good stuff. Um, I just want to talk a little bit about how how we how I found I guess not it wasn't three or seven found heard Chad on on uh, Latrell's podcast and when I heard him talk, you know we have radar down here in the south like we can tell where accents are from, like I knew right away like I heard him talking I was like wait a second, that's north that's northwest Georgia because Blairsville <laughs> sounds a certain way. North Carolina sounds different. South Georgia's different. Alabama's different. And and I really uh I just took a guess and I sent I sent him a message, got in touch with him, and when you said you're from Rock Mart, I was like, Oh yeah, it makes total sense. I heard it. I could hear it. <clears throat> so I knew this I knew this is this is our people. This is where I, I'm from Gwinnett County. Um, but you know, living in Cartersville now, so this which is close to Rockmore for people who are listening. Um so you know, a lot has, has shifted for you guys both in that time. Um, I mean, a lot has shifted. And so you talked a little bit about the 307 project in, in regards to um, what it means and where you are. But what, what, is, what, would you, what is the mission of 307 Project? What are you guys trying to accomplish? To me, the mission is just to get to help people understand who they are already and, and what, what they have inside of them, that they already have a body, soul, and spirit. And all they have to do is hone in on each one of those things to complete themselves and tying it back into, you know, a verse that I really like is, as Jesus says, behold, I make known the end from the beginning. And, you know, basically he's saying that when, before you were born, I've already planned your whole life out. And then I made you. It's not I made you and then plan your life out. He he started down here at the end, and then he said, "All right, now let's now let's play this thing through." 
it's almost like a football play or something, right? They say, all right, this is what this is what's going to happen. All right, now let's play it through and let's make it happen. So, you know, th- that to me is is the main mission to to help people understand that that they already have what it takes. They already have all the tools and abilities, and it's just to focus those in and to to help them live the most fulfilled lifestyle that they can. Awesome. And so, how do you, how do you guys do that? Well, we got a podcast. Um, we've we've started the finishing school, and Chad can hit on a little bit of that if you want, Chad. Yeah, yeah. I mean, we, we I don't want to delve too much into the finishing school, really. I mean, it's it's a it's a leadership type school, and uh, but it's it's on a very the finishing school is on a very very limited basis right now, um, and it's uh, it's all based around outdoors. And, um, it's, it's a, we, we provide a mission for our students to go out and learn to lead and be led and to disconnect from, uh, technology, um, you know, just so many different things that they learn throughout this mission. And it's actually a a mission like I would plan for a SEAL platoon. Um, and and that's just one part of it. You know, this is a a few months, a multiple month long process that we go through with these students. And there's kind of three lanes of it, right? I mean, you got the podcast, which is pushed out to everybody, you know, mm -hmm. it's free content that we put out. And then we, we do the speaking engagements, which is, you know, a little more honed in There's still like Chad said, I mean, there's, you know, what some of them are, might be 50 people and some of them might be 10,000 people. So it just kind of changes uh, depending on the audience. And then the finishing school that he just hit on is a lot more intimate and focused and to, you know, that's the most target specific. And that's why it's called the finishing school. It's meant to finish you out, you know, after you um, have heard all the rest of it. So right now those are our three lanes, but like we said earlier, it's a project and we don't know what it'll develop into. Do people well, do people it, do come in for the for the finishing school? Do they do they do they travel in, or is this something that happens online? How's how does it work? Oh no, we got we've got people coming from all over the country for, to participate in the course that we're putting on this month. Um, so it's a small six man group, uh, it's not man six man or woman group. Um, and you know, I, I literally put it out there, and we had well over a hundred applications. We still have wow. applications coming in today. And I've put it out there one time, and that's been six months ago. Um, and I can only take six um, because everyone in this platoon needs to have a role and responsibility to play. Um, so, and I think that this product's really going to develop, and, and I think that it's going to develop into something that's tiered, um, something that you know there's going to be a beginner level. Uh, because these six that are coming out this month, man, they're going to be drinking through a fire hose. I mean, I, I'm, we're going to teach them so much in four days. They, they're not, they're, they're going to have to latch on to what's absolutely important. And the rest of it, they're going to have to file away because there's just so much that goes into this mission. Not only, not only from, a, from a skills standpoint in the outdoors, these people are going to be covering tons and tons of miles in really, really rugged terrain. Um, at night, uh, totally exposed, but they've also got a mission to accomplish. Um, so I think that's what it'll develop into is a tiered course. And uh, again, we're not, you know, we, we're, our main objective is to have fun. So 
um, you know, we're letting that develop uh, as we go. And then I think another lane, man, that Blake didn't mention that fits in there is our products, man. You know, Blake puts a lot of work into that, dude. We, we have sold almost $30,000 worth of t-shirts and hats in the last four months. And wow. Blake and Blake, Blake and I and Brooke have hand packed <laughs> every single one of those packages and took and written the letter and took them to the post office. Hey, we may, um, I may need to chat with you guys to see, make sure y'all are all set up on the right. Yeah, for Got sure. Right, Trust me. Right distro and everything else. Make sure you're saving money on shipping. <laughs> so, so Blake's really took over that lane yeah. uh, here lately, man. He's been, he's been crushing that. And, uh, you know, so the products is, is something that's, that's special to us, not only because um, these shirts and, and hats and, and these products have these mantras that I have developed throughout my life in these, in the middle of these furnaces of adversity, uh, these mantras were born and we have now put them on our products. And it's really cool, man, to, to sell a shirt and then to see it out in the wild, yeah. see somebody wearing it out in the wild. And, and it's a, it's a way that the, the name three of seven, if you're wearing a shirt that says three of seven on it somewhere, somebody's going to ask you, That's right. hey, man, what is three of seven? So right. everybody that wears one of those shirts is basically making an obligation to be able to uh, explain exactly what that is. And then that sparks conversation around body, soul, and spirit. That's talk, that sparks conversation in, in communities all over the world about being complete, man. We've shipped shirts to all over the world, man. Yep. Like countries, dude, I, I, I don't I, It would be impossible to tell you every, all the countries we've shipped shirts to and probably every single state in the U.S. Yep. So I think the products play a bigger part uh, in the project than, than we probably give them credit for, man. Yeah, that's what, um, yeah, that's what, so the three of seven leads to telling stories. Um, when they sewn somebody's shirt, that's at Orphan Aid Liberia, our love period shirt. We've had it for four years now. Um, the story to the shirt is, is it provides 36 meals for our work in Liberia. So inevitably people wear it. And when people do that, now they're tied into the story. Yep. They're tied into the mission of what we do. And, and they can remember a little bit about what's going on with, with wearing that kind of logo. It's a, it's, it's nice to see that, um, it's nice to see people shift to wearing, and we say this a lot, logos that matter. Yeah. Like you, we have a chance now to wear to put on something that matters. Um, yeah, I'm looking forward to, to, to shirt swapping with you guys. Dude, I've seen <laughs> sure. that shirt. I've seen that love period shirt that you guys sell all over this country. Yep. I have seen that shirt in, in, in like the far reaches of this country <laughs> and been like, holy smokes, I cannot believe I just saw that shirt 3,000 miles away from its origin. Yeah, it's, uh, it, people will send us pics. Um, you know, that's what, you know, it's, it's tough for, for when we have somebody stop in. Now that we've got a shop, people stop in from different, you know, if they're actually in Cartersville, they'll come by and see us and it kind of blows their mind that, yeah, we're, this is it. This The headquarters of Orphanade Liberia is in Cartersville and it's, it's us four. Um, we have 40 Liberians on staff now in Liberia, which that's the mission is to empower them. Um, but yeah, we're, we're just a little old, little old operation out of Cartersville and uh, we're floored, man, when people send us pics and your, your shirt is going to, 
it's going to take you places um, that the technology can't get to. Um, it's yeah. going to, it's going to not every, you, somebody can't walk around with a, uh, with a boom box, which if people don't know what a boom box is, it's, it's what you used to put cassette tapes in and walk around <laughs> a jam box, but you know, you, they can't walk around playing the podcast all the time vocally out loud, but they can, you know, they can put on that shirt and it turns into an easy way to share the mission and bring people into the story, man. I'm, I'm really, I'm really excited for y'all to hear about the, it taking off and, yeah, yeah, totally, man, totally. And and you know, I, I want to say something real quick since I think I think we got a bunch of local. I, I think we at least have a, a fair amount of local people, um, you know, that that listen to your show, Jacob. At least I would hope so. I, I know there's a lot of local churches that support uh, your organization, and um, you know, I want to I want to say, you know, if if you're a local church, man, reach out to us. Um, if you, if you're looking for somebody to come speak to your men's group, if you're looking for somebody to come speak Sunday morning, um, we can make it work. It's been really surprising, man. Uh, this is a, this is an anomaly, dude. Like, uh, people, people will pay me and, and three of seven project a lot of money to travel across the country and speak. But in your own hometown, you don't, it is so hard to get traction in the place where you live. And I don't know, you know, that's a, and that's a Bible based principle. Yeah. I mean, the Bible even says that Jesus wasn't welcome in his hometown. Yeah. And, and it, it's, it's an anomaly to me. I can't wrap my mind around, around it. And by no means am I complaining. I'm just putting it out there because I know we have local, you know, co- community churches and, and local churches that listen to this. Uh, reach out to us, please, because, you know, it, we, we take pride in our community. Uh, I mean, we, we want to, if we can make a change in our community, the place that we have to live in and the, with the people that we have to interact with, you know, that, that's, a, that's a powerful thing, man. So, you know, I'm just throwing that out there. Well, you, you, I, have, I have picked up a, I'm now pastoring two churches, so. You're going to get two, you're going to get two calls from me. <laughs> uh, we can definitely, yeah, we're going to definitely make that happen over here in Cartersville without a shadow. But yeah, yeah. yeah I don't know that I could go back to Lawrenceville um, where I grew up, go over to Decula and speak and anybody would, would listen to me. They'd be like, Jacob Burson, what? It's a strange thing. I know thing. what it that really... knucklehead did when he grew up. <laughs> yeah, it's a, it's a strange thing, man. It really is. And we've talked about that a, a couple of times yeah. and, you know, it is what it is, but you know, we're not going to let it stop us. And we're, we're just thankful to have the opportunity now to speak to you and hopefully to get some, uh, some local ears and eyes on, yep. uh, not only what you're doing, but what we're doing too yep. right here in the community, man. Well, one thing you'd mentioned about people having you guys, you having you come across the country and Blake, we talked about this earlier. Um, a lot of folks think that that first step can't be until whatever you're stepping into can compensate you full time. Everybody that I've talked to um, who have who have stepped out in faith into something, either that be an entrepreneur leading a business or or some kind of a ministry or organization that serves others, 100% all of them worked one to two to three other jobs to make that thing happen. But Blake, you guys, I'm sure you guys came out you're just making a killing right now. <laughs> oh yeah. No, just 
<laughs> we just sold our house, got a, about 25 acres over here, big old mansion. We're just knocking it down. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, you got to be willing to work. I mean, it, me and Chad haven't paid ourselves anything. You know, everything goes back into the business. So, uh, and, and you know, for us, it was never, never about money in the first place, but you got to be able to, you know, to get, to get something for the time you're spending, but that's not what it's all about. And you got to be willing to work hard. You know, I mean, it's, that's just part of it. Yeah. And I think that's what I just, it's something that I, that I kind of knew going into talking to so many folks that are at, that have, have kind of, you look at where they're at today and we forget what that process took to get to today. We look at, we don't think about all of those steps that took to get where they are today. Uh, we, we, we kind of just look at where just at that, that finish line. We don't realize that there was a progress. Um, Dude, I, I just, I just made a post literally today and it says victory requires payment in advance. So when I go and run a hundred mile race and I win, nobody sees the thousands of hours that I spent out here on a muddy trail in the rain by myself. Nobody sees any of that, man. And, and I think it uh, too, it goes back to the misconception of, of people that are out in the mix uh, doing the work. It, there, there's a huge misconception on, on what that looks like. Um, you know, I, I've been criticized multiple times. What does this guy do for a living? What does Chad Wright do for a living? Um, look, man, I, I work, I, I bet, I bet I spend 70 hours a week creating creating, thinking, planning, everything around this project. I mean, it's more than a full-time job. Um, you know, Blake, on, on top of his 50, 40, 50 hours a week that he spends out in the field working his regular job, you know, he's spending multiple hours a day, um, you know, doing his thing for the project. And, you know, it really is. Like Blake says, you got it. You got to be willing. You got to be willing to work. But I think even more so than that, man, you got to find what you're passionate about, dude. Uh, you got to, you've got to find what you're passionate about for sure. And you know, there's, you can't, you, you, that just has to come. I mean, you know, there's a not, it, 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 it's not something that you can, uh, I don't think, I don't know that that's something that, uh, that you can think up in your own head. It has to come to you, but then you have to have the initiative to make it happen. Once you do get, I think a ton of people out here are sitting on something they're passionate about, whether it's photography, whether it's, you know, cutting grass, whether it's, um, you know, buildings, building furniture, what, I mean, whatever your trade is, whatever you're passionate about, there's a ton of people sitting on that, but it, it's hard to have the initiative to work those two jobs for five years until you're 100% in your passion, you know? You know, and I'll, I'll say too about even just finding your passion because, and, and a lot of people will say, you know, what's my purpose? What's my passion? But I think it all comes through experience. If you don't get out there and try something and say, yeah, you know, I didn't, I didn't like that. Then, Hey, you can mark it off. And then you think, all right, what else would I like to do? And you go try it. And so, you know, all the kids that are coming up and going to college and think, all right, you know, I think this is what I want to do. And they go spend all this time in school learning about it, you know, go get some experience first. I mean, it, it's fine. Knock out whatever you got to do, 
but go try some things, you know, get out there and actually get some experience and, and you'll find your passion quick. Yeah. You'll, you'll figure out what you want, what you like to do and what you don't. Yeah. 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 That's, um, it's just wish people, I just wish people would just do it. I mean, if, if, if people feel like that and I'm going to use, for example, um, I'm just going to use pastoring, for example, uh, people say they feel like they're our Christian cycle is we're typically about every three to five years, people will feel called to professional ministry as a Christian. It's just what we do. And then something will happen and that'll die down. And we always feel like for some reason, we feel like pastoring is the varsity level of Christianity, which is, it's not, it's just another, it's just as, it's as, as equal as any other, um, is any other path that a, that a Christian takes. Um, but if you if you feel called to something, you're going to already kind of be doing that thing in some capacity already. So I would say if you're if you're not at some level doing what you think you're created to do, then you're probably not created to do that thing. Like even if it's a even if you if you're called to if you feel like you're called to professional ministry, then you're going to be engaged somewhere at a small level. If you're just leading two to three year olds. Yeah, you're going to be doing ministry, just not professional. Right. If you, you know, I know if you, if, I mean, if if you feel called, if you think your your passion is, if you think you're supposed to go join the Navy SEALs, well, you're going to be pursuing to join the Navy. You're not going to be. No, man, that's sound wisdom. I mean, I I think that's sound wisdom, man. And that's, that's a, that's a tool that I think we should put in our toolbox to help determine what we are called to do. It's, it's look at, Look at what you're doing now. Look at what what is the what lane are you in right now? Even if it's just a, a on a very small scale, um, if you're if you're in it now, um, then that then that should be something that you should think about expanding upon. You know, you you, you hit the nail on the head because I say that all the time. Of um, we we get really big in uh, people trying to find, especially on our on the Christian side, what what is my purpose in life. And I and any time that comes up in a, in an opportunity to talk about it, I'm like, well, it's real simple. Purpose in life is to glorify God and all that we do. Now, how you do that may be different, but we can we can solve the purpose issue question real quick. <laughs> it's it's not hard. Glorify God and all that you do. Was what's that mean? I was like, that's the way we eat, the way we talk, the way we carry ourselves. Now we may have skills and uh, talents that can shift what that is, but uh, yeah, man, that's good stuff. All right, um, Blake. What is it that that you think people need to know? Hey, children in the room. See, see, this is this is good because this is a great example of don't how we. This. No, this is how we squeeze in podcast. Yep. Don't, yeah, we, Jacob, do not edit right. this episode of because us. it's been epic. Just release it. <laughs> just release it exactly the way it is, man. It, well, that's the thing is. I was going to say that we're at seven forty on a Thursday night. You know, we're not. <laughs> we're we're sitting in basements and living rooms. And if you edit this, I'm going to be mad at you, Jacob. All right, it's not. We're we're good. We're good. Go ahead. I, that saves a lot of time for me. Just oh, no, that's out. right. Go ahead, Blake. Just put it up. You know. What no, no. Well, the question is, like, um, what is it that people need to know? Like, if you feel like there's something. Like if this is your last moment to share a message with somebody, what is it they need to know? They need to know that just like what just happened, life is life and it happens. You got to just 
take the be- make the best of the circumstance you got. If you're in the middle of this podcast and your three-year-old comes down crying, it's fine, man. Just keep rolling on. Just roll, you know, take the punches that life gives you and do the best you can and make it to the next aid station and then make it to the next one and give it a hundred percent in between each one. That's all I got on that. That's good stuff. That's good stuff. Chad, what what do they need to know? Dang, man. It's hard. It's hard to follow that up, man. Um, Gosh, um, I, I think uh, I, I think that I think that people, and I, I'm so hesitant to give advice, but you know, I think people need to know that that their spiritual life is um, the most important and the greatest gift that you can give to the people that you love and the people that you're surrounded by. Um, your spiritual life, I meaning, you know, your, your connection with God. Um, and you know, I think, I think obviously, you know, in the society we live in, we, we tend to neglect our spiritual life quite a bit and, and don't take it as seriously as we probably should. And, and we don't put as much time into it as we probably should. But, um, just know that, uh, there is, there is a living God. And uh, there is a, a man named Jesus Christ that whether you believe in him right now or not, uh, he, it is a fact that he came down onto this earth and he died on the cross. He was tortured and he died on the cross, was nailed there uh, because he loved you. And he wanted you to have a place in eternity with him. Um, and I think that people should know that. And I think that, that, we should take that very seriously and, um, you know, not just brush it off as, Oh, this is another, just another gospel message. Like, no, this is, this is serious, man. This is real. Um, so, you know, I I guess I said all that to say that little last piece, man, I don't, I can't think of any other piece of information on earth that would be more important than that. So everything that is in God's word, it can all be boiled down to that one thing, that one piece of knowledge that there was a man named Jesus Christ. He was the son of God. He came down onto this earth. He lived a perfect life. He died on the cross because he loved you. He was rose again on the third day, giving you victory over death, hell, and the grave and sin and everything else that comes against you so that you can now have a place in, in eternity with 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 your creator everything in the gospel can be boiled down to that that's the most beautiful thing about it is how simple it is and i can't think of a piece of information on earth that i would rather someone know than that one little thing yeah man it's good that's awesome um there was one thing you told this story you told me this story. I don't think you shared it. You didn't share this on the on the uh, podcast. You told me this story, Chad. Um, and I know we've been on here a long time, but this is a story that when we first talked about being able to share on the podcast about your experience in in, in Africa. Um, call it a conversion experience or what have you. So you know, we operate out of Liberia, and you told me an interesting story about kind of your heart for Africa. Um, 
Could yeah, you share man, that again? I mean, I think it's, I think it is definitely on topic because of the work that you guys do, man. But there's so many things about um, the people over there in that, on that continent um, that is so special. One being they live on faith and they also profess their faith in places where it can literally cost them and their families their lives. They are persecuted in places on that continent on a terrible, terrible level. So the presence of God there is, uh, is very, very prevalent, whether you believe it or not. Um, we can learn as Christians, we can learn a tremendous amount from, from them. Undoubtedly, I did. I mean, seeing the way that they just lived on faith. But, you know, the, the, I guess the story that you want to hear was, you know, when we were staying in a, in a barracks, we were overseas and we had this, um, we had one friend of ours that was a Christian. There was a team of four of us. And uh, he, he started reading his Bible in this place. Well, when he started that, we came under attack from an evil spirit or a demon that was dwelling within this place. And, you know, it, it really, it, it was, you know, just crazy stuff started, scary stuff started happening and, and, and you know, emotional and mental uh, oppression within our team. And, um, you know, I remember walking in this place and just this, this evil spirit of fear and, and uh, discontent was just bearing down on me and everybody else uh, there. And I didn't know what to do. So I called Blake and Blake put me in touch with his pastor who in turn called me while I was overseas and walks around this building praying on a, a cell phone on speakerphone. And of course, you know, I didn't, you know, I didn't necessarily believe what he was doing was, was legitimate. But um, shortly after he did that total peace returned to that place and uh, we were able to really function as a team again and, uh, and complete our mission. So that's when I realized that there was some power there. And, you know, I got saved shortly after that, uh, not in a church, uh, not, not, in, you know, not, by, not with any guidance other than what, that, that simple message of the gospel. That's how I got saved. That's why I'm so passionate about how the simplicity of the gospel is because you know that that's why that's how I that's how I came to Christ. I I was you know I was didn't have anyone to hold my hand necessarily, um, you know. And things happened throughout that the rest of that deployment. Man, I remember walking around the corner of this big um, building and just getting filled with the Holy Spirit and didn't know what was going on. I'm a new Christian at this point, and uh, there's an African lady standing on a balcony. Uh, singing gospel music uh, aloud and in a place where it's not cool to be a Christian. Let me ask you this. Let me ask you this. You may not can answer this. Would you get on your front porch and sing the gospel music and praise the Lord if you knew it could cost you your life? If you legitimately knew that it would cost you your life potentially, do you have enough faith to go out and do that? Well, this lady did. And let me tell you what, right now it worked because she was surrounded in a, in a halo presence of the Holy Spirit. And anybody that stepped in her bubble mm. felt it. And, and I felt it. And, and it, it, like, it like overwhelmed me. 
this, this presence of love and peace and, and contentment in this place that was just third world crap. I hate to use the word crap, oh, no, crap on a Christian, a crap hole, man. I, I mean, you know, she, uh, so, 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 you know, those type of things, just the, those experiences over and over again throughout that time um, over there really set my faith in, in concrete. Um, so yeah, man, you, you can, well, yeah, I'll say it's, it's it's probably, <laughs> go ahead, Jack. No, 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 go ahead, man. Probably something that is, you know, more of a lesser known fact about that story. I, I think people have heard Chad tell that story before, but you know, just something to reiterate the power of prayer. Um, I, I mean, probably, I don't know, maybe for a month before that happened, Chad was just on my heart heavy. I, I had gotten, you know, back into church maybe a year before that or something. And I think when you truly get, you know, when you truly get saved and you truly are a Christian, you want other people to have what you have because it's kind of like you got the cure to cancer and it's like, why aren't other people getting this? I want him to get this and experience what I am. And, you know, Chad's been my best friend all my life. And so, you know, when I, when I really started getting it, I was like, man, he has got to get this. And, you know, we couldn't talk that much because he was over in Africa. But, man, every Sunday I would go up to the altar and get on my knees before God and pray for Chad every single Sunday that he would come to know Jesus, that he would have, you know, some kind of experience, something that basically where it would be, un, you know, there's no other way to explain it except, Jesus or God has just moved in this moment. And, and then that, you know, that happened. And, you know, the Bible says that God makes all things work for the good of those who love him and have been called according to his righteousness. And so that experience that he had, I'm not saying that, that Jesus orchestrated that experience, but that, that he used that for the good of Chad who loves him. Yeah. And, and who had been called according to his purpose. He may not have been at that time, but he had a calling on his life and he used that situation to bring him back to him. So to just to say all that, just to say that prayer really works. And when someone's on your heart, be, you know, be sincere with it and, and, and go before God and plead their case. See, see Jacob, we, we don't, and, and these intricate details that we're discussing here, you know, we don't, you know, Blake says, yeah, I've told that story. You know, that story that I just told you has probably been heard by, well over a million people, well over a million people. Um, but you know, the intricate details of that story, that's what's so beautiful about being here on here with you and you having a Christian platform. You know, we don't share those details. When I'm speaking to a largely secular audience, uh, which is a lot of what I speak to, you know, we, we I, I will never compromise the message of the gospel, but sometimes you have to change the way you deliver it. Right. So, you know, it's, it's wonderful to be on here and to have Blake tell that side of that story and just kind of go a little deeper into what was going on with that experience. Cause that's a part that's never been heard before. And, you know, to be honest with you, you know, a lot of, a lot of the secular audience would, would turn this off immediately when we, when we start talking about this story right here. And, you know, that's okay too. But, um, but just to give you a little bit where we come from. I'm glad Blake brought that up because I haven't, I've told that story so many times. Rarely do I think of 
of that portion of it. Yeah, and that's yeah. A powerful part of rarely, it. rarely do you think about what was happening on the other side of the globe. That's right. Um, that's right. And and that part of it wouldn't necessarily. Yeah, it resonates. Like it, like to me, that story makes sense. Yeah. <laughs> like it, it doesn't yeah. sound hokey. I'm like, oh yeah, no, that makes sense. You were being prayed for over here, and uh, because God is, he's he's all over the place. Um, that's really not that far of a distance. So yeah, that, that makes total sense that, that it played out the way that it played out and, and that it played out where it played out. Yep. Totally brother. Um, yeah, we got to get you, uh, we got to get y'all to Africa. Got to get y'all to Liberia on us on one of these trips. Get, <laughs> get you- I've been all over that continent, man. I'll tell you, it's uh, it, there's some beautiful places and some beautiful people over there. Yeah. Uh, without a doubt. And I think there is all over this world, man. Don't, Yep. Don't let the media dupe you into thinking that, that there aren't a bunch of good people left in the world. I mean, the world, um, you know, the majority of, of people in this world that, that are left here living and breathing are good people. The, the overwhelming majority of them are good people. Yep. Yeah. That, uh, yeah, that story was just something I, th- I thought folks needed to hear to kind of, to kind of, it gives it some context of the of the roots of three of seven and how, where you guys, your guys, both your backgrounds and where you come from, how intentional you've been um, in that faith journey. So yeah, that's uh, I just it's just a it's just a piece I hope folks um, grab a hold of. All right, guys, so wrapping up today. Where can people find y'all online? What you got going on? What you up to? Uh, you can find us online at three of seven project.com. That's our website. We also have a Facebook and Instagram three of seven project. And, uh, Chad's got, puts out a lot of good stuff on his personal Instagram. What's your, your name? Uh, yeah, it's just, uh, at Chad, Wright C H A D W R I G H T two seven eight. So any of those platforms are good to keep up. The The website has all of the, the products if you're interested in any of that. And uh, we we update the Instagram and Facebook regularly. So if you want to keep up with what we got going, just follow us on there. All right, man. Appreciate both of y'all coming on, just taking time and talking to folks. I guarantee you somebody's going connect to connect to something that we said today because there's a lot of good stuff in there. You guys, I think you guys were just being wide open, really. Um, and, and diving into those details because those are the details people need to hear. People are right there on the edge. Uh, people are right there. They're on the dock, almost willing to take that step, take that leap of faith to go out, to set sail, to to leave the dock. And, I, and, and somebody's going to hear something today, and it may not push them in that direction, um, but it's going to be that one more little nudge that may get them to take that just that one first step. So I just want to thank you, thank you guys for coming on and sharing your story. Oh, thank you, brother. It's, a, it's been a pleasure to be on here. And thank you for all the work you're doing and the, the platform you've made. And you know, don't ever lose lose hope or faith that what you're doing is is making a difference. Yep, yep. And I and I just resound that exact same statement, Jacob. Thank you so much, brother. We're proud to know you. Um, we obviously what you're doing is making an eternal impact uh, off your own platform. So um, thank you so much, my man. All right, man. You guys have a good one. We'll see y'all. See you, brother. Thank y'all so much for listening to this episode of the Love Period Podcast. To learn more about Blake and Chad and what's going on with them, just go to 3of7project.com. You'll be able to find out 
where they're at because they're kind of in the middle of taking this step out, this leap of faith out into the unknown for them as well. Uh, as they work multiple jobs, you can kind of watch two individuals, two guys in their journey while they're working other jobs and, and working really multiple other jobs as they pursue this dream of theirs together as brothers. So I encourage you to go check that out and uh, always be willing to look around and keep your eyes open to the opportunities all around you uh, and tune into what God is calling you to and to the people he's put around you in pursuit of your call or your purpose in the life that God has given you to glorify him and all that you do. Hope you all have a great week. We'll see you all next time.